Radio Influence. The future is now. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. That means it's already Tuesday, Tuesday, February the 27th, 2018, and I am fresh back from New York City. I'm here in my Atlanta studio, a.k.a. my apartment, uh, coming to you live as we do each and every Tuesday night at this time. Uh, So I was up in the city. I talked about it last week. Uh, I got a chance to go down to uh, the Law and Crime Network, which is owned by Dan Abrams, the same guy that does Live PD, and he's the uh, ABC Nightly News legal correspondent. So he's a pretty big guy, um, but he has this online network, which during the day airs on A&E called Law and Crime Network. And I got a chance to uh, be on the air live last Friday from... Uh, I believe I was on from 12 to 2.15 or, or something like that. Um, it's a pretty cool opportunity. I think they wanted to fill me out to see what I had to offer. Uh, they liked me. They asked me to come back this coming Friday, which I just got a call a little while ago that actually said they want me to come in on the 9th and actually host the show for three hours. So I'm very excited about that. That will be my first televised hosting gig so if you get an opportunity on march the 9th between 12 and 3 p.m go to lawandcrimenetwork.com and check me out i'll be hosting i'll have guests on the show and we're going to be talking about uh, the latest and biggest trials that are going on across the country one of the biggest ones uh, that is being featured now that i got a chance to talk about is the george Birch murder trial, which took place, well, or is taking place in Green Bay, Wisconsin. George Birch is charged with murder of Nicole Vander Heiden, 31 year old mother. Uh, his story is George Birch's story is that uh, he was having sex with her in the driveway. Nicole's brother or boyfriend pulls up, knocks him out, kills her, and then. As he comes to, the guy has him at gunpoint, the boyfriend, and he forces George Birch to dispose of the body, dispose of her clothes, and all of this other stuff. Now, originally, though, the boyfriend, Douglas Dietrich, was arrested, uh, but he was later released due to lack of evidence. And, of course, anytime someone like that is killed and there's a relationship and a small child, you know, that person is always the first suspect. But months later, they found this George Birch's DNA on Nicole Vanden Heiden's socks and a few other places, and he was arrested. So that trial is going on right now. I'm sure by the time the ninth rolls around, it will still be going on because the defense hasn't even started calling their witnesses. So I call this Green Bay's trial of the century, much like, you know, back in 94 when they had the trial of the century out in Los Angeles. But for Green Bay, a city that has about four or five murders a year, this is definitely the trial of the century. So, again, March 9th, Law and Crime Network. It's lawandcrimenetwork.com. 
And again, during certain parts of the day, it airs on A&E. So if you get a chance, please check me out March 9th. Now, of course, the other time that I spent in New York was on the old debate of gun control. Friday night, I was on uh, Fox 5 in D.C. via Skype. And then Saturday morning, I was on Fox and Friends at 6.20 and 9.30 a.m. having the gun control debate. And, you know, there was one doctor on there that gave these statistics of how AR-15s, she called it an AK-15, uh, you know, cause this great mass damage to the body. And studies have shown that it kills the liver and it does all of this other stuff. And one of my talking points uh, when we were having this entire conversation, I said, you know, people are assuming that you need an assault rifle or an AR-15 to commit a mass shooting. I said, but Dylan Roof killed nine people, shot 13 total with a Glock 45, and they still died. It wasn't an AR-15. It wasn't an assault rifle. It wasn't an AK-47. It was a gun, and it was a bullet. Uh, so, you know, my biggest talking point during that debate that we had was, you know, we can continue to beat this dead horse about gun control and what people shouldn't and should be able to buy. You know, there's one thing I agree with. You should be at least 21 before you can purchase a weapon because you can't even drink in this country. You can't even run a car until you're 25. So you should be at least 21 before you can purchase a weapon. I'm in total agreement with that, but I don't agree with what guns should be regulated, what shouldn't, and all of this other stuff, simply because it doesn't prevent anything. I think we need to train and continue to train people on how to react to active shooters because at the end of the day, we'll be having this discussion in the next six months when the next one happens. God forbid it does, but if you look at history, you look at patterns, how often are we having these conversations about gun control and active shooters and mass casualties and everything else we hear while we're still having this debate? Why are we not telling people how to survive mass shootings? Now, I want to flip the script, but I, I want to keep it in line with this this mass shooting, especially as it relates to uh, Parkland, Florida. Now, a lot of people have asked me, my mom, you know, some producers, They've asked me, like, what are your thoughts on the sheriff's deputy that didn't go in? Now, you know, I'll, I'll admit my first reaction was, dude, you're trained to go in. Why didn't you go in? Uh, there was gunfire, obvious gunfire. Um, so that was my initial reaction. But it's twofold. I can't say how I'd react in that situation. My gut, my heart, my brain tells me I'd rely on my training. I'd rush in. I'd look for the shooter. I'd eliminate the threat. But I can't say how I'd react in that situation. Now, this whole situation down in Florida, Parkland, Florida, and this this uh, former deputy, Scott Peterson, uh, not the other Scott Peterson, but Scott Peterson um, and his sheriff are getting uh, quite... Uh, heated, I you could say, right? So Scott Peterson and his attorney are saying that, no, 
I'm not a coward. And of course, the sheriff is saying he is a coward. And I want to touch on the sheriff here in just a little bit. But, you know, Scott Peterson has a story uh, of why he didn't go into the school. And just listening to it, it kind of makes sense. And it, it is definitely plausible and believable. You know, he says that initially he thought it was firecrackers. And then when he heard it and realized it was gunshots, he thought the shots were on the outside, which is where he was. So his intent was to seek out the shooter on the outside. He thought the shooting was taking place on the outside, which is why he didn't rush in. So, again, it's it's plausible. It's believable. And if that's how it went down, then, okay, that's how it went down. And you can't fault him if that's what he thought. He thought he was looking for a shooter outside. Now, the sheriff, Sheriff Israel, I think is his name. Uh, you know, I'll be honest. I don't I don't know how I, how I feel about him. Well, actually, I do. You know, I, I don't uh, have a lot of respect for him at this moment for many, many reasons. And the first would be calling his officer a coward on live TV. And I, I think he did that to appease to a certain demographic, a certain network that covered a lot of this and that did exclusive interviews with him. And let's just say it wasn't Fox News, but he called his officer a coward and said he should have gone in and killed this guy. And then he goes on to say in a, in a later interview that although he's the sheriff and his name's on the door, he's not responsible for the actions of his officers. He's, he, and he used the, the, the analogy, a commander or a general is not responsible for his soldiers if they desert. And all of this other crap uh, that he was saying, uh, but quite frankly, in leadership, you are responsible for your people. In leadership, there's this word called accountability, which means you don't throw your people under the bus. And you can ask anybody that's ever worked for me. You can ask any of the soldiers that I was responsible for way back in the day in the military. You can ask any officer that rode with me or that was young and up and coming that look to me for guidance, you don't throw your people under the bus. And as you, you as the sheriff, you are indeed responsible for the actions of your people. Because the first thing you should say is, this person was in my command, and I assume full responsibility. It's called ownership. Yes, the officer didn't go in. Yes, the officer has a different story than you calling him a coward. But you take responsibility for that. You own that. You don't throw your people under the bus. Because now let's think about all the officers, these sheriff's deputies that are still under this sheriff's command. What do you think's going on in their head? Well, if I mess up, then I know the sheriff's going to throw me under the bus because he's not going to take any responsibility or any accountability or he's not going to show ownership to say, yes, I'm the sheriff and I'm ultimately responsible for the actions of my officers. And let's not forget that 
there were reports to the sheriff's department about this Nicholas Cruz. There were all the indicators that were there, but yet this sheriff, even though they reported they were reported to his agency, the sheriff pointed the finger elsewhere. In fact, I think he went on to say that the officer that uh, took the report failed to follow up on it or you know something like that or whatever he said. The fact is, this Sheriff Israel is responsible for the actions of his officers. And if I was Scott Peterson, I would be beyond pissed if my sheriff, my leader, my boss, who typically is an elected official anyway, who probably didn't even come up in patrol and make rank and go through the stuff that Scott Peterson went through in his 20 plus years on the department, I would be beyond upset if he called me a coward, A, because you're my leader, and B, you don't know the circumstances, and C, you don't know if you would have done anything any differently, because yes, police are trained to eliminate the threat. Yes, police are trained in active shooter, but no one can say exactly what they would do in that moment when those shots rang out. And again, if Scott Peterson's story is true, that he believed the shooting was outside, then rightfully so, he was standing where he should have been, because why are you going to run inside if you believe the shooter is outside? So his story is plausible. It's definitely believable. And if it's true, I can understand why he did it. So just so I'm clear, this dates back to 2016. We're in 2018. In 2016, a caller called into the sheriff's office and said this Nicholas Cruz planned to shoot up a school. On November 30th of 2017, a caller told the sheriff's office that the shooter was amassing weapons and could be a school shooter in the making. So just so everyone understands how this works, I assure you that when these types of complaints, these types of calls come into the sheriff's department, they make their way to the sheriff's desk. They make their way to the sheriff's email. These calls don't just come in and some officer takes a report on the phone and it just sits there when you're talking about someone that's about to do a mass shooting or could be a mass shooter. I assure you, Sheriff Israel knew all about this. So the fact that he says his officer is a coward and the fact that he says he's not responsible for his officers, quite frankly, is a load of crap because you as the commander in chief, if you will, should have, as commanders in chief, chiefs do, strategize with generals, i.e., your lieutenants, your captains, your patrol officers, and came up with something that would have prevented this. If you had these tips way back when, maybe you could have done extra patrols around his house. 
maybe you could have paid for surveillance on this guy. You had all of these people, you had all of these calls to the house, but yet you didn't do anything. Now, granted, it's not against the law to post stuff on Instagram. It's not against the law to say you're going to shoot somebody, all of that good stuff. But there are certain laws they probably could have done, like if he's making threats to go harm a particular person. There's a such thing as making terroristic threats that he could have been charged with. I've charged people with making terroristic threats. Now, is that something that's going to land you 15 to 20 years in prison? Absolutely not. But would it have made Nicholas Cruz think, hey, these officers are serious. I better watch myself. And I probably shouldn't go up to the school with the gun because they might be watching me. So there's plenty of things that the sheriff's office could have done. More importantly, the sheriff himself, because he gives directions to his troops, much like a general on the battlefield gives orders to their troops. There's plenty of stuff that this sheriff could have done to prevent this. And now he's pointing the finger at everyone else besides himself. And quite frankly, I don't know how this guy looks in the mirror at night because you turned your back on your people. And that's something a leader does not do. You never turn your back on your people. You might carry them on your back. You might have their back. But you never turn your back on your people. And that's what Sheriff Israel has done. And the thing about it is, now you can't take that back your officers, your your sheriff's deputies will never, ever, ever forget that you turned your back on them. You can't gain that trust back. Once that bell is rung, you cannot unring it. So, Sheriff Israel, I hope you're ready for the repercussions that are coming with your actions of not only acting on this information, but turning your back on your troops Because it's really hard to fight a war if you don't have any troops. I'm just saying. So I want to switch gears here and and share this this story. Something that happened to me uh, over the weekend on my flight back from New York this past. uh, I believe I flew back Saturday. I don't know. All my days run together. Um, So anyway, yeah, it was Saturday. So uh, my flight was at uh, 1 o'clock, 1.25. So, of course, I'd, I was tired. I'd been up since 3 o'clock Thursday morning to fly into New York. Or, I'm sorry, 3 o'clock Friday morning, fly into New York, do two and a half hours of live TV, TV Friday night. I was up at 4 to do Fox and Friends at 6.20 and 9.30. So the intent was to get on the plane take my butt to sleep like I usually do. I usually sleep like a baby on the plane, but I was really, really tired. And I was trying to go out on a date Saturday night. So 
I needed to sleep on the plane because once I landed at 4.30, get home, shower, change, boom, it's time for the date. So we take off, and I think I was out before we got to like 2,000 feet, let alone 10,000 feet. Um, But about 10 minutes later, I hear this yelling. He's having a seizure. He's having a seizure. So, of course, I'm... I'm just about into that deep sleep, but I'm not there yet. So I, I wake up, I look around, and I was seated in the front row. Um, I look around, and the, the stewardess are running uh, one aisle behind me, but to the right. And I look over, and this this gentleman was clear as day, having a seizure. His eyes were rolled in the back of his head. Um, he was shaking really violently. His wife was trying to hold him. But she's very petite. He was kind of a bigger guy, about 220 or so. And he started to vomit and vomit and vomit and vomit. And it was very violent. And, you know, of course, after a few seconds when you vomit, it starts to smell. And, you know, the smell was going throughout the plane, at least the front part of the plane, which is where we were. Um, So after about five minutes, he's finally able to get up. And go to the restroom in the front of the plane. So his wife's looking through her bag because she had checked. He had checked his bag. She's looking through her bag. And of course, she's petite. He's 6'1", about 220. So she doesn't have anything for him to wear. So I'm thinking to myself, wow, do I have a shirt? I was like, well, I got a couple of like T-shirts, like my Captain America, my Superman shirt. But... I'm only 205. He's about 220. I'm like, I think this is going to be a little tight. So I asked the stewardess, I said, hey, ask him what size pants he wears. Because, you know, I I wear a 34, but I wear a 36 comfortably, if you know what I mean. So, uh, and again, we're about the same height. So she says, well, it's not really his pants. It's more of a shirt. And I'm like, ah, I don't have a shirt. Um, but then I remembered I had my long sleeve thermal shirt that I usually wear, especially when I'm going to the city. But I always buy my long sleeve shirts a little bigger because I need to be able to hide my Glock when I'm carrying. I don't want anybody to see this big bulge like on my hip. So I usually buy those shirts bigger. So I said, oh, I have that. So I pull it out. I give it to the guy. Fits him perfectly. And, you know, he's still in the bathroom at this time. And his wife comes up to me and she's like, I I really need uh, your name. I need your number, your address so I can reimburse you for the shirt. And I I said, no, I said, you don't need any of that. I said, I'm just glad I was able to to help. I said, it's not even about reimbursement. It's about being able to help. Uh, you know, so then he comes out and he thanks me and he's like, Hey, what can I do? I'm like, Hey, Hey man, as long as you're okay, that is my thanks, right? You're okay. Um, so while he's in the restroom, the the lady that was sitting next to them comes over, she talks to me for a little bit and she's like, wow, I can't believe your compassion. She's like, I've never seen anybody be as compassionate to a total stranger in a, in a long, long time. And, you know, I'm like, it's just a shirt. And the stewardess, they were thanking me, and I did get a 
free glass of Chardonnay out of it. Um, and, you know, like they were amazed with my compassion. And I'm like, it's just a shirt. And I'm doing what I would hope someone would do for me. And it's about humanity and it's about compassion. And I told the stewardess, I said, listen, I didn't see color because he he was a white guy. He had tattoos all over the place. He had a nose uh, piercing. Probably not someone I would have spoke to on the street if we were just passing by. I said, but I saw a human being in need, and I was fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time to be able to bless him the way he needed to be blessed at that exact moment. So the guy comes out of the bathroom. He's finally, you know, getting his senses back about him. So I, I go over, I talk to him. I'm like, hey, man, you okay? He's like, yeah, I can't thank you enough. And, uh, you know, I, I said, hey, you guys flying to Atlanta? Uh, because, you know, Southwest, they'll fly you all over the world just to get you to one spot. So he said, no, we're actually flying to Oakland. But that plane that we were on was actually landing in uh, LAX, well, Atlanta to LAX. And then they were catching another flight to Oakland. And I was thinking to myself, like, wow, like I couldn't imagine how he would have felt if he would have had to stay in the same shirt that he had vomited on from New York all the way to Oakland some six, seven hours later. And, uh, you know, when he said Oakland, I was like, oh, cool. You know, my my company's headquartered in Oakland, but I work out of the Atlanta office. So, you know, his wife's like, oh, what's your company name? And I told her, she's like, well. I'm going to find you or I'm going to write a letter to your, C- your COO, CEO and let him know what you did. I'm like, again, it's not about that. You know, it's just about being able to help. Uh, and I, I say that to say this and, you know, I, I don't know if I was more surprised that there were a lot of people on the plane that were just going on about their business like nothing happened and no one actually even attempted to see if there was something they can do. Or am I more surprised that there were people that were surprised that I showed this guy that compassion and without question, you know, jumped into action and I didn't do it for a a reward. I didn't do it for reimbursement because when you do an act of kindness, it's definitely not about being reimbursed because you're not even thinking about being reimbursed, you're just giving from the heart or as people call it, paying it forward. And that's what I did. I mean, at the end of the day, did I like the shirt? Yeah, I liked the shirt. Fit me good, but it fit him better and he needed it. And that's what it's all about. That's what we need a lot more of in this country. A lot more compassion to your fellow human being. I don't care what race i don't care what religion i don't care what political affiliation i don't care your height your weight i don't care anything about that a little more a lot more compassion to your fellow human being that's what it's all about and i got my reward the second he stepped out and that shirt fit him perfectly that was my reward because He needed that at that exact moment, and I was able to give it to him. All right, it's that time of the show. I really 
hate to do, but it must be done to honor our fallen brothers and sisters in blue. My 10-7 segment tonight, I honor police officer Justin Billa, Mobile Police Department, Mobile, Alabama. End of watch Tuesday, February 20th, 2018, which was a week ago today. Police officer Justin Bila was shot and killed while assisting in the apprehension of a man who had just murdered his ex-wife. Investigators at the scene of the original murder identified the subject as a person of interest. Officer Bila, along with other officers, went to the man's home on Avondale Court to make contact with him. As the officers arrived on the scene, the subject exited the home and opened fire on them. Striking Officer Bila, another officer returned fire as the subject retreated back into the home. Officer Bila was transported to the University of South Alabama Medical Center, where he died a short time later. The subject remained barricaded inside his home for the next three hours. His body was recovered from the home following the standoff. Officer Bila had served with the Mobile Police Department for two years, he is survived by his wife and one-year-old son. That's tragic. This officer woke up. He left his wife. He went to apprehend someone who had just killed his ex-wife, and he ended up dying. Yeah, that's that's tragic. I want to thank you for listening. Again, if you're able to, Law and Crime Network, lawandcrime.com. March 9th from 12 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Tune in. Watch me host a show. We'll be talking about all of the biggest and latest cases going on around this country. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Badge. I'll see you next week. Same time, same place, right here. Radioinfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show. And to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a Jim Fannin Show Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Make sure everybody has personal, well-defined goals that the family understands the family respects, and the family supports. You know, Seth, I, I had the largest junior tennis program in the world at one time in the 70s and early 80s. I trained thousands of instructors in the score system. Tennis was just the vehicle. So I know for sure that four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds understand and can understand the concept of optimism. We made them say the word and told them what it meant. We showed them what someone not optimistic was doing. We showed them what someone that was optimistic, what they were doing. We need to train our children on um, being positive. The Jim Fannin Show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.